It's so good to be with everyone this morning. I know we're a little smaller than usual, but what a wonderful opportunity for us to be able to meet and serve and worship our awesome God. To start and set the stage for our topic this morning, I wanted us to look at a couple points from a June 2nd, 2020 article titled, U.S. Moral Freefall. The survey finds America's traditional moral pillars are fading away. It was published by the American Worldview Inventory by the Cultural Resource Center. The very first paragraph of this article states, Our nation is facing a potential moral freefall. Unthinkable to earlier generations. With the majority of Americans today no longer embracing values of honesty, respect for the rule of law, the sanctity of life, and traditional sexual morality when facing moral issues. It's not a very good introduction to what the survey found. And the numbers are as depressing as you would imagine. Less than one-third of American adults, 29%, rely on religious faith when making moral choices. Instead, they rely on people, 30%, and their own beliefs, feelings, or experiences, 31%. As we would imagine, this impacts how you would evaluate different issues. The survey went on to ask uh, 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 questions of, is it morally unacceptable to renege on repaying a small debt? In which they responded to 61% yes. However, that's more than they would say on abortion, only 44%. Less than half, 47% said it was morally unacceptable to tell a lie to protect a personal interest or reputation, with 32% saying it was morally acceptable or that it was not a moral issue. As we continue on with the survey, we notice that there's a subset. Those, this subset identified saying they have a belief in God and religion is important in their lives. And of that group, less than half identified that they were likely to rely on the Bible for primary moral guidance. Less than half of the subgroup but what about the next generation? Those of ages 18 to 29, what does that look like? Only 15% of that segment would turn to the Bible for moral guidance. Instead, overwhelmingly, almost double, they would depend upon themselves at 29% or to family at 25% for their guidance. 
These results remind us what we read in John chapter 3 and verse 19. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. This passage teaches us that men love darkness rather than light. And the reason? Because their deeds were evil. This morning, I want us to consider a topic that is found from our scripture reading, which I appreciate uh, Joseph reading of, of, of some length. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Abhor what is evil. Abhorring sin has been lost in our society and sadly by many that have given their life over to God. Has this impacted me? Has this impacted you? Or do we remain steadfast? Now I know the temptation. The temptation is for you to immediately say in your mind, as do I, absolutely, I abhor evil. I abhor sin. But we need to be cautious of how confident we are and where we stand. Tonight we're going to look and do our recap of the summary of the seven churches that we read about in Revelation. But let's remember how many of them, how many of them who no doubt thought they were doing the will of God had issues. Five of the seven were on verge of having their candlestick removed. This question and this idea of abhorring evil is important. We cannot grow lax. We must stand on guard and always be ready for what comes. So this morning, we're going to start with looking at our attitude towards sin. Let's look over in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. Romans 6.23 teaches us, For the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The first thing we must do is realize that sin is serious. God states that the wages of sin is death. And while the consequences often are not immediate, death. What is being discussed here is spiritual death or eternal condemnation. And while there are very few people that I have ever come in contact with that they outright state that they want to live a life that sends them to hell, their disregard for the commands of God demonstrate what their goals are in life. In Romans chapter 6, Verses 16 through 18, it helps us see the full picture of sin and the choice that we make on whether to be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. Verse 16 of Romans 6, Do you not know to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? 
you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or to obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves to sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves to righteousness. Again, we see the idea of spiritual death that sin brings and the choice that we must all make. We will serve something. What have you chosen to serve? Next, again, from our scripture reading in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, we understand that an attitude towards sin must be one that we abhor evil. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. The Greek word for abhor is epastigio. It's the only place in the entire New Testament that this Greek word occurs. Thayer's defines this to have a horror of, a dislike. There are many here that are scared or have a phobia of something. Heights, spiders, snakes, and even frogs. So we know what a proper attitude towards sin looks like. We don't want anything to do with those things that scare us, that we dislike or that we have a horror or fear of, what do we do? We get away from it. We don't want anything to do with it. We flee it. That leads us into our third attitude towards sin. And that is an attitude of fleeing from the face of evil. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. We're going to look at three other verses along this idea of fleeing. All four of them are the same Greek word, phiego. Thayer defines it to mean to shun or avoid by flight something abhorrent, especially vices. God wants us to see sin, to take it seriously that this is life and death. He wants us to abhor that thing which is evil. And He wants us to get away from the immorality. We are to flee it. In this passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we see the context comparing our bodies to the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we must have an attitude of spirit that focus always to look at immorality as horrific, disgusting, and seeks to flee it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. We've spoken many times about the idea of idolatry and all of its evil forms. 
While it may not be a golden image for us today, there are many things that can serve as an idol in our lives. And God doesn't say, you know what, let's see how close you can be with this thing of interest that takes your focus away from me. He says, no, flee it, leave it alone, get away from it. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, we read, Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. This context that is spoken of in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22 is identifying workers of God that are approved and that are disapproved. A worker of God must always follow the truth and flees those things which are evil. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. This is in reference to a few verses earlier in verse 6, which states, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. This context in which 1 Timothy 6 verse 11 occurs goes on to discussing being satisfied versus pursuing riches. We must understand we must have an attitude to flee all things that are evil and sinful. And lastly, in our look at attitude towards sin, we recognize what is stated in James chapter 4 and verse 7. And that is that we need to resist those things which are evil. Let's look at James 4 and verse 7. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The idea of resisting Satan or sin is in line with our attitude of abhorring and fleeing sin. It's in line with our attitude that sin is a life and death situation. The Greek word for resist is antistemie. That one I needed some work on, obviously. Thayer's lexicon defines this to set oneself against, to withstand, resist, or oppose. Do we set ourselves against Satan? Do we oppose Satan? Do we withstand Satan's attacks? As I think back on these four attributes of an attitude that is appropriate and that God commands us to have towards sin, I wanted to find two examples that looked at a similar sin and the approaches taken so that we can compare and contrast to these principles that are in the New Testament that we've read this morning. And I couldn't help but think about David and Joseph and two challenges that they were both given in their life of evilness, of sinfulness. And let's look at both of these and see how they each respond. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 2 through 4, to look at David. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, 
the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity. She was returned to her house. When David was presented with sin, did he see this as spiritual death? Did he abhor the sight of a woman who was unclothed? Did he flee and resist the temptation? The answer is no. And David, from this point forward, has to deal with the consequences of the sin and the tumultual grief and strife that it brought within his family. In comparison, let's look at Genesis chapter 39, verses 10 through 12. Genesis 39, 10 through 12. So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that, she, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about the time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Now, did Joseph try to reason with Potiphar's wife? to tell her that this wasn't appropriate? Did he stand around and consider his options on if there was a compromise to get her to stop? Or did he think about how close he could get to the line of sin? No. Unlike David, when David looked at Bathsheba, Joseph saw this sin as spiritual death. He abhorred it. And he resisted this sin literally by fleeing immediately. He did not want to be around for one second. And this is the attitude we as Christians must have towards sin. When we see it, we must be horrified and leave immediately. But so many today will watch TV, movies, plays, or be around things of all sorts that are sinful and say, I am strong. I can resist. Brothers and sisters, this is not the attitude God wants us to have. It doesn't matter if it's a depiction of someone killing themselves or killing others, sorry, fornication, alcohol, bad language, immodesty, lying, etc. It should be absolutely disgusting to us. And we should abhor it. And we should flee from it. Remember, this is an eternal life and death situation. Let's go back to James 4 and verse 7. Because James in verse 7, even though it says resist the devil, has a wonderful promise. Has a wonderful promise for all of us. It says, therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Satan will be the one fleeing for those that resist and have the proper attitude towards evil and sin. These attitudes are critical that we've gone through in developing a foundation in our lives 
Now let's look at a couple things that we should be focusing on to build that foundation so that we can have these attitudes towards sin. And all of these three ideas that we're going to look at here, all three of them come in the exact same passages that we just got done reading. Because God didn't just say, don't do this. It's important not to do this. But if we leave a void, what's going to fill it? Something else that we're not supposed to do. Instead, God said, don't do this, but do this. Focus on this. And the first is to cling to what is good. Let's go back and look at Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. And for time's sake, we're not going to reread our scripture reading. But let's focus in on the uh, passage that we highlighted earlier in verse 9 of Romans chapter 12. And here we see, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Thayer's lexicon defines this to give one steadfastly to labor for and to cleave to. Is this our attitude to the Word of God and all that is listed within this passage that we read earlier between verses 9 and 21? Notice God didn't leave it up for us to define what was good. The rest of the verse that was read for us this morning defines what is good. God clearly shows us what to labor for, to cleave to, and be steadfast in. Do the rest of the verses in these passages describe us and what our attitude and mindset is towards? Next, we're to pursue. We're to pursue seven things that are specified. Righteousness was being one of the first in both of the passages that we saw in Timothy. The first one was in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. Flee all youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. And the second one was in 1 Timothy 6.11. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. We see in both of these passages, the Greek word used for pursue or to follow means to seek after eagerly, earnestly endeavor to acquire. Does that sound like that is second or third on or fourth on the list of what we should be looking at every single day? This idea of pursuing? No, it is the very top. Look at the definition again. Definition again. To seek after eagerly, earnestly endeavor to acquire. If I put the Bible under my pillow every night and sleep on top of it, am I going to be doing what this idea of pursue is? No. It means every single day. This is important. There's nothing more important. This is the only way we can achieve the word pursue here in its truest form and sense. And what are we to pursue after? These seven things. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, peace, and gentleness. How stark of a contrast to those things we are to shun or to avoid by flight of something that is abhorrent. 
See, we're supposed to get away from those things that Satan is putting out there before us to tempt us. And yet we're going to earnestly endeavor and acquire these things. And I promise you, if that's your attitude, if that's your focus, that's going to take up a lot of time. It's going to take up a lot of time so that you can resist and get away from these other things. You don't need them. And then lastly, we need to draw near to God. We saw this back in James chapter 4. We're going to lead, read a little bit more of the context. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your help, hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. To draw near or nigh to God means to turn one's thoughts to God. As I think about what our focus should be as Christians in clinging, pursuing, and drawing near to God, I can't help but reflect on the times that this has not been my focus. Those are the times that I wasn't fleeing and abhorring evil and sin. Those are the times I didn't view it as life and death. Those are the times I didn't resist. We need to be focused on having the proper attitude. And we must be focused on clinging, pursuing, and drawing near to God. As we conclude, there's one more verse I'd like us to read. And I want it to serve as our invitation. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 or 9. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue... And if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. The beautiful thing is that God will be with us if we have the proper attitude and approach to those things which are evil and to those things which are sinful. The invitation song is offered for those that want to obey the gospel to, to give their lives to God, and the invitation is also for those that may find themselves in a place, in a situation where abhorring, resisting, and fleeing evil is not what you have done. If there is anything we can help you with, please come forward as we stand and sing the invitation song.